Let's Go Racing Family Podcast, sharing our love for NASCAR, running, and just racing through life. Hosted by Sebastian, Giovanni, Karen, Tony, and me, Johan. Each week, we'll talk about our view of the world through the lens of racing. Chase, the contender round. These are the races that will decide who moves on to the 11 meter. So we're going to be wrapping up the rest of the contender round, starting with the race at Talladega, the Yellowwood 500. This was a actually really fun race. So um, it was the second race of the round of 12. And obviously, you know who was the best driver out on the field? A top restrictor plate track racer. And I would say the next pipe, 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 Pied Piper. Pied Piper. Are you trying to compare him to the great Dale Earnhardt Jr.? Not yeah. as great as Jimmy Johnson. Okay, keep Jimmy out of this. <laughs> so Joey had the most dominant car leading 10 times for 45 laps. And he seemed to be like the only one who could actually drive his car up to the front, despite being penalized twice in the race. And honestly, that's a sign of how strong his car was, because it's no secret he doesn't exactly have, quote unquote, friends on the track. No, he doesn't. And you would think you need friends to drive in these type of super speedways, which you normally do. But Joey Logano, despite all that, has figured out a way to get his he's, his car is always near the front when it comes to the restrictor plate type racing. Yeah, he's got a good car. Sadly, Joey's greatest enemy was there today, or that day. Rex. I was going to say, which team was that? Was that Denny Hamlin, Chase Elliott? Like, you could go down the line. Kurt Busch, Kyle Busch. How about literally everyone in NASCAR except for Matt DiBettadato, Brad Keselowski, and Ryan Blaney? (laughs) Yeah. Well, the good thing is that for the most part, the wrecks were towards the latter part of the race because this was actually a really good race. Like, it had me on pins and needles the entire race because I felt that there was a lot of competitive driving throughout the race. Like, Joey Logano was up there. There were several like of top drivers that were up there contending. They weren't just laying back and hanging out in the back of the pack waiting for wrecks to happen. So like no joke, like my heart was racing pretty much the entire race until the end when the big wrecks started happening. Yeah, no, I I, I can't disagree. It was uh, it was very intense. And a lot of drivers from the get-go, I mean, I don't know if you guys mentioned it already, but wasn't there like a wreck on the very first lap? The first lap, Christopher Bell and Tyler Reddick got into it. They just like, it it was one lap. Like, we're going back to when NASCAR came back from COVID, like, laps on the, or wrecks on the first lap. I think there were a total of 13 cautions, including the uh, stage competition. competition cautions. But overall, I mean, there were there were definitely incidents throughout the race, and it was very kind of nerve wracking. Yeah, and w- despite that, there were still drivers who won the stages. Chris Buescher won stage one, and then Martin Truex Jr. won stage two. And as the race went on, there were more wrecks and more drivers like Eric Amarola, Kyle Busch, Ryan Blaney. Jimmy Johnson, Clint Boyer, Kurt Busch, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex Jr., and even Joey got caught up in these wrecks and were taken out. I think the one that spooked me was around, I don't remember what it was, but it was uh, Austin Dillon like, went right into the back of Joey Logano on the backstretch and just pushed them up to the front, which got 
uh, Bowman loose, and he actually ended up turning Armorola, and Joey got caught up in that. I don't know what happened. He just barely squeezed out of it, and I was so worried because I thought he was going to get wrecked, but Joey, again, with his navigation skills. So two drivers that I thought did really well throughout the race until, unfortunately, they got caught up in wrecks were um, Bubba Wallace and Daniel Suarez. Like, they were up there, and they were doing really well. And if they got, like, pushed back, they would drive themselves up to the front. In fact, when um, Bubba Wallace was wrecked, him and Ryan Blaney were working their way back up to the front. And so, like, that was really cool. I really And I think that's the reason why I really like these, like, restrictor plate races um, is because any it's anybody's race. It really is. And I feel like everybody sh- or most people, most drivers can shine in these racetracks. Well, I mean, you look at Bubba Wallace at the end of stage two. He was in 10th place and he actually worked his way up, like you were saying, several times to the point by lap. I think it was lap 180. He led. So it took him 60 laps, but he worked his way through the traffic. And by lap 180, he was leading this race. And he actually led for three laps. And then, of course, the one thing about these type of races, you get in the wrong line or whatnot, and you get shuffled back or very some, quickly. Or, or, or somebody get gets some loose, and then they take out a bunch of cars. The most talked about moment of this entire race came in the second overtime with one lap to go as the drivers were racing to the finish line. Matt Benedetto, Eric Jones, Denny Hamlin, William Byron, they were all battling. And, oh boy. Do any of you guys want to tell them? Johan, why don't you talk? Well, what's going on in um, these final turns? They're like just tandem drafting up on the track. Um, then like two laps to go, I'm coming on the white flag. Um, Maddie D and Chris Buescher are tandem drafting. And I really like tandem drafting because they have great finishes. And then Blyron just comes back. And then the field just coming and plowing together. And we got this big finish, like on turn three and four. They're racing. Hamlin makes a um a um crazy move. They're wrecking behind them. It's just crazy. It's like a crazy. It's like like on Talladega movie when like uh like if there's like a crazy finish between like the main character and like some other guy with a big wreck. So what's happened is, um, uh, Matty D makes a Matty great- D was leading near that end, wasn't he? Yes. And we Matt, all thought he had a shot to win it. Yep. And I, I literally thought this was going to yeah, be it. I definitely him. thought he was going to win it. He was finally going to break through and get get it. But who ended up actually taking the checkered flag, as you were saying, Johan, in one of those last stretch of Talladega moves? So, as you know, um, Matty D tried to, uh, blocking Byron. And then Denny Hamlin just comes down on the apron and is just driving and then doesn't even go back up when he has room, but he passes them. So, um, as we get to the finish, this is Talladega, not Daytona. You can make moves, machine controversial finishes. And, like, Denny Hamlin's racing. It's a photo finish to the line, and Matty D and Denny Hamlin side by side, but it's Denny Hamlin taking the win. But they were checking some stuff that if Denny Hamlin got penalized, but apparently he didn't, and he won the race. Well, Matty D did not finish second. Well, so that was the thing, Johan. Who actually crossed the finish line second? Matty D. But to your point, he didn't finish second, did he? So that was one of the controversial things about this race. And 
Throughout the race, there were penalties. Like Joey Logano got penal- uh, penalized twice because of the yellow line. So this yellow line was a factor at this race. And at the end of the race, Denny Hamlin went low, went under the yellow line, advanced positions, and yet was still uh, given the win. Because he was forced down. He wasn't forced down. The person that was forced NASCAR's down, determination. Yeah, well, NASCAR did not determine that correctly because if you see the if you see the replay, he was behind Matt DiBenedetto and Byron. And the reason that Matt DiBenedetto got penalized was because he put he came, he was coming down the track and forced the twenty four to go a little bit low into the. So who ended up pushing Hamlin down though? Wasn't it? De- no one. No one. Hamlin. He no just one. went down. He went down. No, behind that's not the way it happened. He, no, he, he went got down. forced down. He guys. went down on his own to advanced spots. You can okay, watch the clips. I, I did watch the clips and I watched the race. Did you? Because Danny Hamlin. You didn't get it right. Danny Hamlin was forced down. He was not forced down. He went down. If my he choice. had he not moved. Choice. Had he not moved down, it would have been a wreck. And all. All of those drivers would have been taken out. And that's the reason why NASCAR has that rule. Okay. Well, so why? the thing is the cars that were in front, because Denny Hamlin was behind these cars. He was behind all like four or five of these cars. He was in sixth place. I totally get it. And but he where was he, was, he was, he was forced down. No, he was, no, he was making a move. And when he was making a move, that's when all of those cars that were getting very aggressive because they were coming to the end, started coming down on the track. And he went down on the bottom because yes, he was going to get plowed into but he was making a move. It's not that he was in that per- particular position. He was making a move. And when all those cars that were in, in front of him were getting, were starting to get aggressive, they all started coming down the track and he found himself having to go down below the yellow line. But he didn't just stay below the yellow line because he was, as you say, quote unquote, forced. He not only stayed there, but with plenty of room to go back up, he didn't. He stayed and advanced positions okay which they're going is a penalty. 200 miles an hour that's not an you excuse can't just if nascar is going to make traffic is na- if no but there wasn't traffic he had room if nascar is going to enforce rules then they need to enforce them for I everybody think, i think not just for whoever they I want to reach it, it. And you know what? it and i agree with dale jr he said in the post race interview i mean the post race commentary he said they should just do away with the yellow line and i agree because if they're not going to treat that rule fairly, then just do away with it. Here's my thing on this rule. When has we when has any driver gotten penalized for pushing a car down into the yellow line? All the time. No. It, it has I don't remember it. There has happened. never it been a race happened. except for Dega where this happened. I think it was more blatant and they did it a little bit more strongly, but it it's happened before. I don't think that at a racetrack like Talladega or Daytona that rule should be in place because these cars, like you said, they're driving really fast. They're driving two, up to 200 miles an hour. And when you're driving that fast and you're getting aggressive because you want to win, the cars are going to move and yeah, shift you, and you, you're going to go down in the apron. Because of the aerodynamics that are in play at these types of tracks at Daytona and Talladega, they have to have different rules. Otherwise, the thing about these cars, they're going so fast in these packs if they get in wrecks, these cars will fly. Literally, they will fly off the track. And so they have to enforce rules to try to keep these cars exactly. from wrecking. So that they and don't wreck, you should allow the cars to, if they need to, move down below the yellow line so that there aren't wrecks. And again, I'm sorry, but Dale Jr. himself, I mean, I can't, former NASCAR I can't argue driver and son of Dale Sr., said 
that they should just get rid of the yellow line. I, I can't argue with Dale Jr. Johan, you had you want to say something? Well, um, it wasn't actually used, but they were talking about it in the Talladega finish with Regan Smith and Tony Stewart. When like um, Regan Smith made that move, they were saying maybe Tony Stewart forced Regan Smith. They mentioned that. Rule what race are you talking about? Sorry, tell our listeners. The You're- Talladega race. Um, I forgot what year it is, but um, Tony Stewart and Regan Smith coming down to the wire. And Tony Stewart forced him down? Mm-hmm. They mentioned it. And they didn't penalize Tony Stewart at that time. Did he force him down into the yellow line? Or was it like forcing him down onto the track to like get a run? Like what drivers do when they have a run and they side draft them to get past the driver? Well, look, I think at the end of the day, I agree that maybe they don't need to have the rule. But that doesn't change the fact that on Sunday they had that rule. And by the definition of the rule, as determined by NASCAR, Danny Hamlin was forced down there. And I think it's unfortunate because that took away Matty D's top two finish because he got penalized for forcing a car down. And that's why he did not finish second. He ended up finishing like in the top 20. I think it was 21st, which is crazy because he had such a strong run. But at the end of the day. Danny was Danny did what he needed to do and he won. And I, I'm just I'm impressed again. The I man won Daytona. The man who hung out Talladega. in the back the entire race, and then because of all the wrecks that he was purposely avoiding, made it to the front and then was able to win by advancing positions, going under the yellow. That's line. called cowarding. That's called cowarding. That's not cowarding. That's, That's called smart. At the end of the day, you can call it whatever you want, but guess what? Danny Hamlin won the Daytona 500. Danny Hamlin won Talladega. And I think Does this he have is a championship? Third... He's going to get one this year. Yes, Johan. Well, I'm not a Denny Hamlin fan, but I agree with you because that's smart racing. Because if you. you're up there and the big one happens, you don't know where to go. You exactly. You avoid it. Yeah, but if you're a really good racer like he's supposed to be, he doesn't need to be hiding out in the back. He wasn't hiding out. Rest. It's he called was. strategic. Well, guess what, guys? Where were all your drivers? Uh, they, they were, were all the, up at the, the front. front. They in were the all front. up at the front. They yes. were all up at the front guess what? competing and making the race exciting. I'm talking because about guess a what? lap if all 200. of our drivers, yeah, because they were in the front being competitive and making this race exciting, Tony. Guess because what? guess what? If all of our drivers were hanging out in the back, it would be a very boring Danny race. Danny wasn't hanging out in the back. I think he even got a little mixed up early no, him on. Him and Kevin no. Harvick they purposely intend- fell back. They said that. You see them they in the race. fell back. You see it in the beginning. You see it in the race. You see them purposely fall back. And even the announcer said, oh, they're falling back to avoid all the you know stuff that could possibly come. It's a 200 lap race. 188 And if, if it means I'm going to preserve my car so that I'm there on the lap, I would rather be up at the front at the end of the race than being up at the front at the beginning of the race. Because guess what? I got a chance to win. And Danny's done it multiple times yeah, on but these here's restricted the thing. plate As a NASCAR fan and spectator, that race, I it said was this, exciting. Ra- this race was exciting. It was. Up until the last two big ones where our, most of our drivers were taken out because, again, they were being competitive and they were racing to win. Not to hang out in the back no. and wait till everybody wrecks so that they can go for they a They didn't get taken out because they were being competitive. They got taken out because of bad decisions by other drivers. And what yes, Danny Tony, and Kevin yes, did Tony, was but let me go and wait this out. They were being competitive by racing up in the be front because the they want to get Matt points. They want to be in the lead. And just because somebody makes a mistake and, and takes them out, 
that's not an excuse for them to go hang out and have this boring race where all the good drivers are hanging out in the back. You know, if Denny Hamlin's so competitive, then he'd be racing up front. He'd be racing up front. He would be He up would there. be in the front. He should have been in first place the whole... I mean, yeah, he should have been in first place the entire race if the he's so great. driver of the and season. And guess what? Guess what happens to the person who's in first? The wrecks happen behind him. Yeah. So they're not going to oh. take him out. Oh. oh, she got you. No, she didn't. Because what if the wreck... Um, What if the, the top two drivers are side by side and the second driver side by side than you and you're in first wrecks and they take you out? Well, Matt Benedetto was up there and he was running good. Had he not um gotten penalized, he would have gone second and he was driving up there. Well, so Denny Hamlin could have driven up there and still. You guys can argue all you want, but at the end of the day, Denny Hamlin delivered. And Tony, he won. just because just Denny like Hamlin FedEx, is teaming up with your favorite win. athlete doesn't mean that he can do that no wrong. Now. That doesn't matter. That's not part of you know this. What? NASCAR, I, oh, I'm yeah, sorry, that's but part NASCAR, of it. NASCAR was favoritizing. They were favoritizing. Because What's favoritizing me? NASCAR was fav- was favoritizing. No, what? favoriting. Yeah, was they showing were, favoritism. They... NASCAR was showing favoritism. Na- you know what? NASCAR was showing favoritism. They were showing huge amounts of favoritism. To who? Denny Hamlin. Denny Hamlin. You guys. If they, if De- I bet you, if it was anyone else, they would have penalized him. So who wants to take us through the top five? So the top five finishers are Denny Hamlin getting first, Eric Jones um getting second, Ty Dillon getting third, William Byron getting fourth, and Chase Elliott getting fifth. But um, Maddie should have been second. Well, I agree. I do feel bad that he got penalized. Uh, Chase Elliott actually was another one that got penalized, but then they ended up re- uh, recanting that, and then he ended up finishing on top five. So there you go. There's not favoritism there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So who's going to take us through our Let's Go Racing family picks of the week? Okay, despite the fact that Denny Hamlin did give me six points by finishing first, I still don't think he should have won the race. Dad or Tony picked Jimmy Johnson, and he finished 29th. Sebastian picked Eric Amarola, and he finished 37th. Giovanni picked Joy Logano, who finished 26th. And Johan picked Justin Haley, who finished just shy of 10th. And I gave you such a hard time with that pick, Johan, and he almost finished with a top 10, and you were the second best finisher of all of us. NASCAR, can you please penalize Chase Ellie so then I can just get one more spot and then... Actually, that's right. That's true. When they had him penalized, you had the top 10, (laughs) and then they moved Chase back, and then you were out of top. uh, You had an 11th. But that was actually pretty impressive because I'm like, there's no way this guy's going to do that well and... And at Didn't one he point, the he was. Xfinity race? Yeah, he did. He won the Xfinity that that Saturday night or Saturday, and then he ended up, uh, you know, working his way up there and uh, was actually in the top five at one point. So I was actually pretty impressed by that pick. All right, so we're going to move into the following week, which is Roval. Yep, the Bank of America Roval Four Hundred at Charlotte Motor Speedway. This was a first for NASCAR Cup Series because it was the first time the Cup cars were ran with rain tires. That was actually pretty exciting. I didn't know what to expect. And, you know, not that I wanted a lot of wrecks. I was just curious to see what it would be like to see these cars running in the rain. Well, it wasn't actually not fully ran in the rain because I was really hoping it was like the Xfinity race where it was like torrential downpour. These cars are like spinning out and wrecking. I was wishing it was like that because I wanted the surprise winner like Jimmy. <laughs> so, so there was definitely rain. Uh, I mean, there was it was wet, but you're saying it wasn't raining during the race. 
No, it started, it was raining at the beginning of the race, but then as he got farther and farther, the rain calmed down, and like, Tom, Ty Dillon, I give him credit, he was doing good. He was, I think, one of the most dominant cars. Early on, because Mm -hmm. they said he was the most experienced on rain tires, and he did. He went straight to the front and actually led at the end of the first stage. Uh, So, but the thing was, they kept saying as the track was drying, who was going to make that switch at the right time to go to the slicks? Because what I learned, I didn't realize this, and Dale kept talking about it, is that these tires, the the ones with the rain tread, like a normal street car tire, actually built up a lot of heat. And and as it built up heat, it would start to like rip away and it wouldn't be as, as effective. And so the drivers with the rain tires on were actually looking for wet parts of the track to cool the tires down before they had a chance to switch over to slicks. And we saw a couple of drivers that decided to switch over to slick tires. These are, again, without the tread. And who was like the first couple of drivers to do that? Ty Dillon and Ryan Newman. Okay. Well, and what ended up happening to them? Well, it didn't work out for Ryan Newman. He just spun out. He did. But Ty, he like spun around in a 360. Ty Dillon, he was like the fastest car. He passed Clint Boyer, or leading at the time. And Boyer had a fast car, and Ty Dillon had a really, really fast car. And um, those of you who like Timmy Hill, he even finished like fifth in stage one. But for some reason, didn't get any points. Yeah, he ended up falling back later in the race. So well, again, I was really excited because my guy, Ryan Blaney, was doing really good, too, which I knew he was going to do really well because he's he won that uh, that track last year. And he does really good at the uh, race course tracks. Um, so he was doing really good for the second part of the race. And Ryan Blaney won stage two. But it turns out Chase Elliott was going to be the winner that day. He drove through the field three different times in like 27 laps. And that was actually, again, very impressive. I think that always shows the strength of a driver is how he can drive his way to the front because there are going to be times where you're going to get shuffled back because of green flag pit stops because you get caught up in somebody else's mess, especially on a road course like this. And there were a couple of times where he fell back and it didn't matter. It was almost like an extra challenge for him. It was how quick was it going to take him to get all the way back into the front. And when he did, there was nobody that was even close. Um, He's actually the um other driver who won four times in a row at a road course. But technically, I consider him, he won five times in a row at Watkins Glen in 20. Um, 18, then Watkins Glen in 2019, and the Roval. And then he went at the road course and the Roval this weekend, or last weekend. So he, you said he's won five straight? They said he won five or four, but I consider he won five straight. Five straight road courses. So he is definitely the king of road course racing. And that's why you guys all freaked out last week when we were making our race picks because it was a, it was, it was a great pick. So why don't we go through the top five and then we'll talk about our race picks. So the top five for the Roval, Chase Elliott first, Joey Logano second, Eric Jones third, Kurt Busch fourth, and Ryan Bellany fifth. As for the race picks, Mom picked the race winner Chase Elliott, who got first. Dad picked Kyle Busch, who finished 30th. And I really felt bad for him. 
Like I, he was, yeah, he was trying everything to get up there and I thought he had a shot. He was up there, but even still, I don't think if it was him head to head with Chase Elliott, I don't think he would have had anything for Chase, but he did run top five, but then caught caught up and it just. And ended also he was early. on he was on a different strategy. Yeah. Like he had to go in. He wasn't going to have enough um, gas to yeah. get to the end of the race. I think he got wasn't he the late caution when everybody it was like, is he going to go in? He was leading and he stayed, and he out. stayed out and literally everybody went in. Exactly. And at that point, you're like, OK, he's and done. So then when some of the like the last little cautions came out, he he was forced to go in and get gas. Gio picked Denny Hamlin, who got 15th. Johan picked Jimmy Johnson, who got 13th. And I picked Martin Trix Jr. 7th place means I'm the only other person aside from mom to get points. Uh-huh. So after two more weeks of racing, what do our standings look like? Mom leads with 39 points. I'm in second with 30. Johan and dad are tied with 24th. And sadly, Gio is last with 16. I, I think I'm just going to drop out at this Stop. point. Stop. You know how I feel about that. Don't ever give up. And you still I got a shot. I have three races left until the chase. Uh, you got four races. You First can pick the winner four times, which means you would end up with 40 points. And you still have a shot to win. You just better be on your game and pick the next four straight wins. I mean, I'm in last, so you guys are always going to make take my pick. So I'm just like, what? Who who what? knows? Who knows? You never know. Remember, Johan was at first at at the front, and you know Johan's more willing to give any driver a chance. So, and usually he's he's not he's not far off. So, with that said, Sebastian, where are we going next week? We're going to Kansas Speedway for the Hollywood Casino 400, the first race of the round of eight. And what's significant about this is that if one of those eight drivers wins, they are guaranteed to be in the last race of the year at Phoenix, one of the top four. And you want to be there because if you are, whoever finishes in first or finishes ahead of the other four drive, the other three drivers wins the championship. So there's a lot of pressure now to try to get this one in. And now it's the Let's Go Racing Family Picks of the Week. Karen, you've been kicking our butts the last couple weeks, which means you get to go first, unfortunately. Who are you picking to win at Kansas Speedway this weekend? The driver that I'm going with is the winner of the spring 2018 race and also one of the most dominant drivers of the season so far and the one who I think is going to win it all the number four of Kevin Harvick Ooh, Kevin Harvick that's a great pick this is is why this is why all right Sebastian you're in second who are you picking to win the Hollywood Casino 400 mom you talked about the most dominant driver well there's a second one he won Talladega, and he's got some of the biggest wins this season. I'm picking the number 11, Denny Hamlin, to win this and go all the way and win Phoenix. All right, Denny Hamlin. Well, Johan, you're next. Who are you going to pick? Well, between two drivers, I had a plan to choose Denny Hamlin. That was my guy I was going to pick because he won this race um, on Thursday. But there's two guys. The, the double guy in 2017 the champion, or the Chase Elliott guy, 
But since he's more of a champion and a dominating driver, I'm going to go with Martin Truex Jr. <laughs> Martin Truex Jr. Wow. All right. Hold on. Hold on. I actually got the winner this week. He's coming home for some hometown cooking. He drove his heart out and probably should have won and got caught up in other people's mess this past weekend. I'm picking for a hometown win in his last cup start at this race, Clint, Clint Boyer. Boyer. And he didn't do that good All last right, time. All right, uh, Giovanni, bring us home. I really, I, I really hope this happens. I'm trusting Joey Logano to get me the victory. Please. Well, you know what? That's not a bad pick. That and was he my has last, a, last, He last has a knack to win at this type that was of race. Well, those are our race picks for this week. So as we look to wrap up this week's episode, we're going to go through our Racing Through Life segment. And in celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month, I would like to introduce a friend and a colleague of mine, uh, Sarah Dominich. Sarah is a PR manager for the Hispanic market. And so, Sarah, I just wanted to say thank you for joining us and being part of our family podcast. Oh, my goodness. No, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you for having me. As part of our celebration for Hispanic Heritage Month, on our podcast, we wanted to highlight our connection to his, the Hispanic community and learn what it means to be Hispanic. Oh, that is <laughs> that is a that is a very complex thing to answer. <laughs> so I'll do my best. Um, I mean, for me specifically, you know, um, I'm from Puerto Rico and I've been living in the United States. I moved directly from Puerto Rico to Orlando. And for me in Puerto Rico, living my life there, we just were Puerto Ricans, right? We didn't have the label of Hispanic or Latino or any anything like that. So for me, it was kind of like a little bit of a shock when I moved here just because we have another label, right? That we needed to, that I needed to adapt, that I needed to work with. What it means for me is we are part of a bigger community, a bigger part of a segment, culture, heritage, right? So we are not alone in our little island, um, the way that I thought that, that I was. Um, so I kind of embrace it when I moved here that I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican, but I'm Hispanic. And then later in, in the years, I learned that I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I'm Latina as well. Like I'm Latin. I'm from, you know, Latin America as well, even though Puerto Rico is part of the United States, but we, you know, are considered Latinos as well. So it, it, it is a little bit complex because we are, Hispanic is just not Puerto Ricans. It's just not Mexican. It's not Argentinian. It's not Chilean. It's not, um, you know, so it's, it's a lot of things mixed mix into only one label. Um, and I think as a as a segment, as a community, we just need for the longest time we have been, you know, like fighting for our rights and 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 all of that. So I think it's 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 a very complex question. Like, what do you define a Hispanic and how do you feel to be a Hispanic? Yeah, actually, as as a Hispanic mom, like I'm sure that you would agree that it's important preserving our our um, Hispanic heritage for our children. 
But to be honest, at least for me, sometimes it's that's kind of hard to do, um, especially yes. because of our American culture. Um, do you feel the same? And if you do, what do you do to overcome that challenge? So, you know what? It's very interesting because I didn't think anything of my preserving my culture and heritage because I was like, I'm Puerto Rican and I speak Spanish and I eat my arroz con gandules every, every Christmas. And I didn't think of like ways of preserving that because I also married a Puerto Rican. So for, for us, it's like day-to-day life, right? But then when we had our son, that's when everything kicked in. It's like, oh, wait a minute. We need to make sure that he learns Spanish. At school, exactly. he's going to learn English. Like Spanish for me is like super important specifically because the world is so connected right now that only one language is not enough. So Absolutely. I just want to make sure that he doesn't lose our, you know, our native language. And the second is like, how do we maintain our traditions from like Christmas and throughout the years? And how do we, how do I teach him like our history? How do we teach him about the rest of the Latin America um, country's history? Um, some things, you know, that he might not learn at school. So it, 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 it became really, really important. And it was, I, I, um, opening just to think about that because I, like I mentioned, I never thought about like, oh, I need to make sure that I maintain my culture because, you know, but then it's like, now is like a priority in both of my husband's and my life's, you know, um, that we just need to do that. Like we need to make all of the effort. And to your point, it's not easy. It's not easy because we have the influence of school and they need to speak English and they need to, there's not a lot of history at school. So it's, it really, you know, you, we, we are the responsible ones to make sure that he gets all of the information, all of the history, all of the language skills. And we have to do that at home. Absolutely. I agree 100%. I know that one of the things besides like the language, because that was always very important for me. And unfortunately, it hasn't happened in my home. My kids do not (laughs) speak Spanish. And it's sometimes it's really frustrating for me. And it saddens me, you know, and I'm still trying to push my kids to speak Spanish. I'll say things, you know, and I want them uh, to to be able to understand and eventually get to the point where they can talk. But aside from the language, one of the his, like Latin Hispanic traditions to me was celebrating December 24th, Nochebuena. And that uh-huh. is like something that growing up, that was our Christmas. That's when mm-hmm. we had our big meal and our celebration and we opened gifts late at night. We stayed up super late. And Tony actually grew up a bit more with the American culture of Christmas. I went to bed early on Christmas Eve. Because, you know, I needed to be in bed early because I was going to get up really early on Christmas Day. Exactly. So that was like that was that was like a, a something that we both had to um, adjust, adjust right? to. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. he wanted the boys to go to sleep early and he wanted us. It, no, it was just the 25th. And I was like, but no, but we're Hispanic. So we need to celebrate Noche Buena. We need to have the music exactly. and the food and just probably, you know, make sure that Santa arrives and exactly. we can get a sneak peek. Yep. <laughs> So what we yeah. did is that we compromised and we actually celebrate both. So oh, good. we yeah. do both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah well, for us, like, at least in my family, we, we did both too. Like we did all of the Noche Buena um, traditions for, um, for that night. But then also like Christmas Day was more like opening the gifts and watching, you know, whatever holiday special was on TV. Um, and playing with the new toys or whatever gifts we we got. But one of the things that I, I've been trying to specifically when my son was born is to celebrate the Dia de los Reyes, 
the mm-hmm. epiphany yep. because they don't celebrate that here. And even they go back to school. And for me, that was also a shock because we, our holiday break was until like probably January 10 or January 12. So for me to know that he has to go to school on the 5th and the 6th of January, which is El Dia de los Reyes, the Three Kings Day, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, no, that's no way. Um, so the comp- compromise right now is like, well, okay, he can he can go, but I still celebrate the, you know, the January 5th one. I We go and get the grass, we put it in a little box, we put it under his bed, I make the mess, you know, the camels make the mess with the with the water and the and the grass. So we want to make sure that he still, you know, gets that celebration because he's not gonna get it if it's if we don't do it here. Right. And I'm you know, one of the things because I have to clarify that he doesn't speak Spanish. He's five. I mean he's six. How old is he? Six. <laughs> and it it's been a challenge for him to speak the language. He understands everything. Mm-hmm. And but he doesn't want to speak it. Mm-hmm. And I was actually, I, I was actually going to ask you, like, what tips do you have for me that I can use for him? <laughs> not, we don't have any. <laughs> two, two of my oh, boys okay. spoke Spanish for like the first, you know, two, three, four years of their life and now decided they're not going to speak it or understand it. And you you and I have talked mm-hmm. about like, I need to practice more because that's my problem that I don't speak it. And so I, it's rusty and I get shy. And so I don't speak it. And because of that, I just speak English most of the time. And so the boys, naturally, they've gravitated to only speaking English. Yeah, of course. And so mm-hmm. It's natural. It's more natural because yeah, we, we are here. So Exactly. Yeah. So, but at least they understand it somewhat. And um, hopefully we're going to try to practice a little bit more. Yeah, I keep saying, okay, we're going to start speaking only Spanish in this house. I don't care if anybody doesn't understand. We're going to learn everyone's going to learn. And then it just never happens. Everybody's like, good morning. Yeah. And we just go about our day in English. My sons love movies. (laughs) And I told them that I'm going to make them watch it in Spanish. And they're like threatening. I, I, I did it. I was the only one who did it. I would like sit down and watch a movie. And I'm like, wait, why is it in English? And I would change it. And Johan would be sitting there and he'd be like, no, change it to change it to English. Put on the Spanish subtitles. I've been doing. Oh my God. No. You know what of the best? movies in Spanish is what? Shrek. (laughs) (laughs) Sebastian, that's your That's one of Sebastian's favorites. You're going to have to watch it in Spanish. If you haven't watched Shrek in Spanish, you are missing out. Like, is the, is, is funnier. Is def, like a hundred times funnier if you watch it in (laughs) Spanish. You know, the donkey is pretty funny in English, but in Spanish, oh my God. So, you know, now you have an assignment. All you right, have a, I was you have say, a task. This weekend we'll watch Shrek right. in Spanish. All right. I'll in give, Spanish. All right. I'll give Shrek a, t- uh, Shrek a try in Spanish. But with English subtitles. That's my so one. So he can thing. understand. <laughs> no, okay. no, 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 no. No, but you, you should already know the Spanish. Movie. Yeah. No exactly. English subtitles. All right. I want it to be a hundred times You know funnier. you got to watch a movie like... 50 times to f- to fully and, understand and you've, it. You've and I'm watched sure you've Shrek watched it at least 50 times. You, you've had it since you were a kid. <laughs> and you even broke Shrek too. Oh yeah, my goodness. He did. He loved it so much. He broke the uh, DVD in half. Anyway. <laughs> and, anyway I love it. <laughs> anyway, my dad mentioned earlier that you worked in PR targeting the Hispanic segment. Could you tell I our do. audience what that means? 
So that means public relations is basically promoting a product or a destination, place, somebody, and in the traditional and mainstream media. And it's usually earned media. We don't pay for that. So we find different tactics to communicate news. We create news. So, for example, my job right now is if we have an opening of something, I'm not going to say what it is, but if we have an opening of something, I need to make sure that I, we have a press release, we have photos, we have videos that can be distributed to the media, news media, and they can use it on their TV shows, their newscasts, the newspapers, online websites, and hopefully their social media channels. It's, it's different because when you say PR and you work with news and news media, you there's kind of like um, the concept that is publicity, but it's really not. It's basically, like I mentioned, earned media. So it's, it's news, it's how to work with reporters on how to place um, the stories under news outlets. And for Hispanic, so I work, it is it is interesting because I work with media that they speak English because they are based in the United States, is U.S. Hispanic, the segment U.S. Hispanic. And they're based in the United States, but all of the content is in Spanish. So I, if you're a reporter, I can call you and talk to you in English and everything. But all of the content that I will be providing you, the press release, the photo, well, not the photos, but the video with sound bites, interviews, everything has to be produced in Spanish. Wow. That's pretty cool. It is. So for our podcast, the Let's Garrison Family podcast, NASCAR is our family sport. And this podcast is our family project. What is something that brings you and your family together? Oh, my goodness. That's a great question. What brings us together? There are many things that bring us together. Like um, you're going to laugh at this because this is related to racing. Um, Since I have a little boy, he is in love with cars, Disney Pixar cars. And one of the things that we do with him specifically is um, we play with his collection of cars and we watch the movies over and over and over again. Um, And actually, it's, it's interesting for me because I'm a very, very girly girl and I had to change um my likes and everything and learn about cars and um, motors and <laughs> and all of this boy stuff that can make me bond even more with my little with my little son. So watching movies, specifically cars, is one of the our greatest thing to do that we do almost every single night. Um, right now, um, he is into reading a lot. He's six, but he reads every single book that you put in front of him. So every single night. Um, as a way to unwind, especially my husband and I, um, after work, we definitely take time to read with him either one of his favorite books or we introduce a book um, every single week for him. So those one one of the things. And then now that we're getting into fall, fall is, I, I think, is Kai's favorite season because he loves the pumpkin patches and he loves carving the pumpkins and getting all messy. So usually during the weekends in the fall season, we try to... Uh, go to uh, as many pumpkin patches that we can find, and buy a lot of a lot of pumpkins and and do the the carving and and all of that. So yeah, well, fall's uh, my favorite usually... too. So I completely understand Kai. Oh yeah, he loves it, and it's funny because my favorite season is Christmas, and 
And again, it's like another way to just spend time with your family and all of that. But he he really loves his pumpkin patches. <laughs> I honestly agree with you that Christmas is my favorite um, holiday too. It's the best. And uh, the and best. what what else what else do you have in common with Kai? Like, what is your room completely adorned with? Disney cars. You love cars. Aww. What's your favorite? Uh, my favorite Cars movie is Cars Three. Cars Three. That's my husband's favorite, um, but Kai and I love the first one, the original. The first one's my second favorite, and the second one's my least favorite. Same. <laughs> we agree on that one. It's not the same, that second one. <laughs> but I actually love about the third one is that they have a girl. So they have Cruz Ramirez. And yes, you, that's awesome. You know, yeah, it's amazing to see, you know, a woman in the racing world. And that's one of the best things that I that, that movie um, brought to the screen. Yeah. So we heard that you also have a podcast. Could you tell us what your podcast is about? Yeah. So Sarah Domenech, El Podcast, is um interview style, like, like what we're doing right now, interview style podcast. And I interview several, you know, very interesting people from like teachers, doctors, moms to talk about, you know, like their life and to talk about like how they became what they what they are and what they work on right now. I talk about it's, it's a lifestyle podcast. So I talk about travel. I talk about uh, motherhood, tips for beauty and all of that. So it's, it's, it's interesting. I just started the project because um, I'm a journalist. So I started as a journalist and I love interviewing people. I don't like people interviewing me. So this is <laughs> what we're doing right now is not on my comfort zone. I like the one I'm, I'm the one doing all of the questions. So um, I love interviewing people. I love talking with people. And one of the outlets that, you know, especially during the pandemic, when they started the quarantine and everything, I was like, I need another creative outlet. And I also need to do something more with my life and my time, right? So um, my husband actually convinced me to do this podcast. So we're growing our little podcast. Hopefully we will get um, celebrity interviews. We will get um, more famous people on the podcast. Who knows? I'm working on the second season right now. So um, hopefully we will have more news. So so when is your uh, season? Are you still uh, recording this season or have you wrapped that? And if you have, when is your second season start? Oh, very good question. I did wrap the first season. Um, we did 11 episodes. It got a little bit complicated because of work, on my regular work. Um, so now I'm just trying to um, define the strategy of the podcast and kind of define the next, the next uh, guest for the podcast and what interviews I'm going to be making and what kind of style. So I actually hope to start either late November or early December, depending on, on what work um, allows me to do. <laughs> but I, I hope to start it in December. Um, if not, then probably, you know, start the new year with, with the new season. And I'm also, it's funny because my podcast is in Spanish. So you guys need to practice your Spanish so you can listen to my podcast. But I'm actually going to try to do several episodes in English. And you guys, I have a surprise. You guys are going to be the first guests. That's awesome. I think this epi this interview that we've done and you having you being on the podcast and Hispanic Heritage Month has kind of inspired me to you know go deeper into my part my other part of um culture that I have and I want to be able to learn the language much better 
Well, that's you awesome. know, you you made my night right there. The goal was done. We accomplished it. Thank you. So yeah, that was actually really really nice of you to to say and to thank because that's that's what Hispanic Heritage Month is all about. Like you know, inspiring each other and make each other like continue to showcase our culture, our language, and our traditions, um, and inspires you know others to to know us. So I congratulations. That, that that was really, really nice for you to say. So thank you for joining us on our podcast. And we hope that your podcast can take off and go to the dreams that you have in the future. Oh, thank you so much. The same with you. I just, I hope that NASCAR like puts attention to what you guys are doing because I think that is great. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Sara. We hope yeah. so too. And thank you for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Gio, why don't you take us out? Well, this week was fun, but that's going to wrap things up. Thank you so much for listening on in. Please leave a like, subscribe, and download our podcast episodes so you can listen to us wherever you want, whenever you want. Let's Racing Family, out! <laughs>